Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today Pastor Prithvi continues to teach from the new series The Gospel According to Paul where he teaches from the book of Romans. In the sermon Pastor Prithvi is teaching from Romans 5 on how sin ruled over all and brought death. But now God's grace rules and gives us right standing with God resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Stay tuned. I hope that you've read Romans 5 at least once. Uh if you haven't today is the day when we'll get to read through uh the entire chapter of Romans 5 beginning with verse 1. Are you all ready? Let's go 1 2 3 start. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord has done for us. Do you remember the context? We finished with the last scripture of chapter 4 was that you know, because of our sins, Jesus had to die. and to make us right with god jesus had to be risen back to life anybody remember the last scripture he was handed over to death for our sins and he was risen back to life to make us right with god now the term make us right with god in the nlt bible is used as the word justified in all the other translations the nlt bible is trying to simplify it for those of us who can't make sense of the word justified see justification means that you and i you know we have it's it's one thing to be forgiven okay it's like this uh, if uh, you commit a murder okay and you have to uh, ask the president of india for a pardon you may get a mercy pardon but you're still a murderer You understand in the eyes of the law in the eyes of the world if they have to give you a job the first thing that they will say is hey, wait this guy is still a murderer he doesn't have to rot in jail for the rest of his life but he's still a murderer but you know what justification is justification is wiping out that record where not only are you forgiven but now your record is taken away now you're declared a righteous person Now you have a fresh slate. You know you have a clean slate. That is justification. Now the Bible says since Jesus has been risen back to life and since we have faith that Jesus has risen back to life, now because of that we have been justified or we have been made right with God. The Bible says since we have been justified or since we have been made right with God Uh, because of faith it says now we have peace with god now we have peace with god in other words we have a right relationship with god now we have a friendship with god the only person in the bible who is referred as a friend of god is abraham not because of the works he did but because he was counted as righteous because of his faith because of the way that he walked with god he was a new testament christian living in old testament times it says in the new testament here paul says it's only those who have been justified not because you have come to church not because you've been a member of or you've been a christian you've you've been doing the right things for a long time no not because of all these external factors but because you've been justified or because you've been made right with god that is what qualifies you to now have peace with god the father that is what makes sure that you have a relationship with god in other words It is impossible my dear friends for us to have a relationship with God or a clean conscience or a clean give and take relationship with the father in heaven if we are not justified if we have not been made right with God sometimes you know the church it simplifies the gospel so much we just tell people you just uh, lift your hands and say this prayer and you just you know uh, go jump in the water and you'll be fine 
But that's, it's not as simple as it seems on the outside. On the outside it is, it looks simple. But truth be told, it requires for you to be justified, to be made right with God, to have a right standing before God, okay? So the first thing that I want to remind you from this scripture is that faith is necessary for your justification. Can you say it out loud? Faith, not, not works, but faith, it is necessary to be justified. No matter what we do on the outside, that cannot buy us justification. No matter how we sing, how loud we pray, how much offering we give to God, you know, how much uh, things we do for poor people or, uh, you know, how many uh, people we help, none of that can truly or completely or do anything about our justification. If we have to experience a right relationship with God, it requires faith. Because it says, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. The second thing that I want to remind you is that justification is necessary for you to have peace with God. Yeah? You cannot have peace with God if you're not justified. The third thing that Paul reminds us that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can in fact have peace with God. Only through Jesus Christ, not through your pastor, not through a saint, not through a church, not through any other medium. It is only through Jesus Christ. Nobody can stand in the gap between God and man other than Jesus. It says that because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what Christ has done for us, now we have peace with God. Now we have friendship with God. Now we are reconciled with God. Amen? Verse 2, it says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and we joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. See, if you understand this, he says, now, once we have faith, once we have been justified, once we have a right relationship with God, now Jesus, he repositions us. The, the term used there is that he has brought us in. We can't come in by ourselves. If any of you think that we can just walk into God's presence, we can just experience the Holy of Holies because we know the song, I enter the Holy of Holies, you cannot come in by yourself. You have to be brought into the Holy of Holies. You have to be assured into the Holy of Holies. And it says that Jesus, because you trusted in this Jesus, He brought you into that place of undeserved privilege. The other translations would say, He brought us into grace, carriage, a place that we don't deserve. He brought us in. He repositioned us to this place. How? By faith. What does it say? What is the first word? First phrase. Come on, re keep reading the scripture. Because of what? It began in faith and the work is even furthering, progressing because of your faith. We can't give up faith midway. We can't stop believing. We can't, we can't now choose to rely on our works and our good works once, you know, things start changing in our relationship with God. It says it's because of our faith that we were, you know, forgiven. It is because of our faith that we've been justified. It is because of our faith that now we have a right relationship, a friendship with God. And it is the same faith. Now that you have a right relationship with God, the Bible says He has brought us in where you can now stand. And this is a place of undeserved privilege. It says... This place is a place where you can now confidently stand and you can joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. See, outside this place, everything will look dark for you. Outside this place, everything will look miserable for you. But when you allow Jesus, see, there are many Christians who have not experienced this. They're still waiting there. They are saved, they're justified, but they don't understand the power of grace. 
because of which they still don't know the glory that is waiting for them. They still don't understand the glory because they can't see it, they can't fathom it, they can't reason it out in their head. All that they see is, you know, sadness and struggles all around them. They can't see. That's why you need the presence of Jesus this morning to give you this revelation of what grace can do for you. He will bring you into this place, to this place of undeserved privilege. Come on, I, I want you to say this out loud. Because I stand on grace, I confidently and I joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. One more time. Because I stand on grace, I confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. See, if you read the other translations, it would use this term, rejoice in hope of God's glory. Rejoice in hope, which means, see, you hope for something that you don't have already, that you can't experience already or you can't see already. And, and, and Apostle Paul says that when you experience this, when you experience this relocation, that is when you will automatically begin to rejoice because you can see now. Even though you can't experience it, you can see it with your eyes of faith. Even though you can't touch and feel it, now you're just happy. Now you're celebrating. Now you're, you know, excited because you can see it in a distance. You can see it far off. Because you see, you should, you should understand, sometimes what happens with many Christians is that we look at our present situation. There are two kinds of Christians. One kind who will look at our present blessings and we call this God's glory and we are content and happy with this. There are another kind who will look at our present struggle and, and the lack of blessings or the lack of answers to our prayers and we say God is not working for me and, and then we'll be miserable about it. But for both of us, both the approaches are wrong. We can be thankful for the blessings but the Bible says we have to live rejoicing in hope of the glory that is awaiting us in hope of the glory. Not just be happy or content with the glory you already have, but hope of the glory that you're about to inherit, about to receive in the days to come. Can I, can I say this out loud, you know, that a sign, one of the signs that you are standing in grace, that you're walking in grace, that you're living by the grace of God, is that you will be able to rejoice in every season of life. Whenever you rely on yourself, on your own ability, on your own strength, I'm telling you, you will be a miserable Christian. If anybody has tried to do that, you can testify to it. You try to be pure, you try to be holy, you try to do everything that is there in the Bible, you make sure Matthew to Revelation, you don't miss a single verse. You've read the Bible 10 times a day, you, you know, you, you'll do everything possible and still you will not be able to experience the, the freedom. But when you live on this grace that God provides, I'm telling you, you will be able to rejoice in the worst seasons of life because now the weight is not on you. Now the weight is on Him. Now the, 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 the a burden of making sure you're righteous, making sure you're pure, making sure you're living for God is not on you, it's on His shoulders. Amen? Can I, I'm, I'm just so fascinated with this particular scripture. Can I read it in Amplified Bible if you don't mind? Okay? I'm, I'm just going to break this verse down into multiple words. Uh, so the first word is through Him. Everybody say through Him. So what this joy, we can't experience on ourselves. It has to be through Him. The next thing it says, we also have access by faith. Everybody say, by faith. by faith. You see this? It says, because of our faith, okay? Through Him and by faith, we have access into this remarkable state of grace. It says, through Him, we also have access by faith into this remarkable state of grace, okay, in which we firmly 
and safely and we securely stand. Where do we stand now? Not on the fact that we've been forgiven. Not on the fact that we have, you know, now no longer unbelievers. Now we, no, we stand in a place called grace. And in this place called grace, we are firm, we are safe, and we are secure. And because we are here, it says, now let us rejoice in our hope and the confident assurance. Okay, this hope is plugged or paralleled or complemented with this uh, assurance, with this confident assurance of what? Of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God. What does the glory of our great God mean? It means the manifestation of His excellence and His power. This is why I like the Amplified Bible, you know, you just, you just, what they try to do is they pick up all the words in English that that original Hebrew word could mean and they put it in the brackets just for us to understand that word in its entirety. Okay, so when we say we experience God's glory, what we are saying is we will see a manifestation, a tangible manifestation in hope of a tangible manifestation of His excellence and His power. What do we do? We sit and pray, we sit and fast, we rejoice in hope of glory. We rejoice in earnest anticipation. Now, Paul is trying to explain it in detail. He's saying in verse 3, let's go to verse 3. He's saying, now, I understand that sometimes we, we may not always be surrounded by good circumstances. He says, but even when we run into problems and trials, he says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance you know the uh, NIV translation says we glory in our trials and tribulations we glory or we boast or we celebrate the fact you know somebody was coming and telling me you oh, know my, uh, my my salary is cut uh, I'm not getting paid on time and I said you know go back home buy chicken and celebrate <laughs> you know why because the Bible says that we rejoice when we are surrounded by trials and tribulations. Not that we cry, not that we, you know, initiate a 21-day fasting and we, you know, go sit sad. No, you celebrate. Especially when, you're, when your circumstances don't add up is when you celebrate. It says we can rejoice too when, when we run into problems and trials. The next three words are very, very crucial. He says, for we know. Come on, loudly. For we know. Let me ask you a question. What do you know this morning? Because your knowledge will either limit your response to your problems or it will help you to, you know, worship God more freely. The more you know. See, what, what, what are we doing here on a Sunday morning? We are trying to increase your knowledge of what is in store for you. Because if you don't know, you're going to respond exactly like everybody else in the world. But if you know, Paul says, we rejoice. Why? Because we know. Child of God, if you don't know, you are going to perish. My people perish because of lack of knowledge, because of lack of visions, because they don't have a perspective that I want to give them. For we know, Paul says, for we know that they help us. What helps us? This suffering, this tribulation, this distress, this pressure, this trouble, it, it helps us to develop endurance. It, you know, the other translation says perseverance. It, it helps us to develop perseverance or endurance. And I'm like, and I know what you guys are thinking. You know, and I, I also thought the same. Like, why do I need endurance, you know? Uh, why, why do I need uh, this? What is the big deal about perseverance? Why? You know, these are all words that, you know, you, I, I'll tell you honestly how I do it. I keep saying, uh, hey Siri, what does perseverance mean? Hey Siri, sorry, Siri, don't respond. Okay, Siri's actually, he's actually telling. You know, when I'm studying the Bible, I, I have a, you know, parallel conversation. 
with the Holy Spirit and with Siri, trying to understand what these words mean. Now, see, I'll tell you why endurance is important. The next line, it'll explain to us. It says in verse 4, because endurance, if you don't have endurance, you cannot grow in character. But endurance, what does endurance do? Endurance develops strength of character and character is what strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Come on, let me explain this one more time. Where did we begin? We began by faith. Faith leads us to justification. Justification leads us to peace. And peace leads us to stand on grace. And because we stand on grace, we now rejoice. Now because we rejoice, when we rejoice, we grow in endurance. And when we grow in endurance, we grow in character, strength of character. And when we grow in character, it says that is when we become strong in our confident hope of salvation. It says, next verse, okay? It says, this hope, come on loudly, this hope, everybody say this hope. hope. It's not just hope, okay? It's not, you know, this is why, like, you know, if you remember a couple of Sundays back, a couple of weeks back, we had Pastor Francis coming and teaching us Bible, right? Uh, How to study the Bible. When we take a verse out of context, we will stand up and preach about how hope will not disappoint. But it's not talking about hope does not disappoint because I know that I have hope for so many things which has led to disappointment. Anybody else who has hope for things and it has led to disappointment? Yes. But that's not the hope it's talking about. It's talking about this hope. This kind of hope. This kind of hope which has been developed through a process of Faith leading to justification, leading to peace with God, leading to now standing on a place, on a confident place of grace, which brought me to a place where now I'm willing to rejoice, doesn't matter what, because I can see, which has brought me endurance, which has developed my muscles called endurance, leading me to have character, strength of character, which has ultimately brought me to a place where I have this hope. It says, this kind of hope, come on, say it loud, loudly, will not lead to disappointment. This hope will not lead to disappointment. It says, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Why has He given us the Holy Spirit? To speak in tongues, right? To show off how anointed I am. Why has He he given you the Holy Spirit? See, if you're saying you have the Holy Spirit but you're unable to love the people around you, I'm sorry, you don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not, or you know, you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit who is in you. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to fill you. If you have the Holy Spirit, the more you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more you have to be filled with love. It says that this hope, it will not lead us to disappointment. Why? Because we know that God dearly, clearly, very very closely he loves us and because he loves us he has given us the holy spirit okay and what does the holy spirit do he fills our hearts with his love with agape love with unconditional love this is gospel according to apostle paul this is gospel according to apostle paul he is going into every details of your walk with god of your relationship with god and he's saying hey you cannot be saved unless you have the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. It's not, it doesn't finish with hope. It says, when we hope, it doesn't lead to disappointment. Instead, it leads us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, to, be, to, be, to have His presence poured into our hearts. And when His presence is poured into our hearts, what happens? Now our hearts are filled with His love. So, this morning we have to pray for grace to... Uh, experience an overflow of the Holy Spirit and you know different people I'm telling you we will have 
external manifestations of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is one of those evidences. You prophesying is one of those evidences. There'll be a lot of signs and wonders and miracles that will break out in your life. All of those are evidences of, uh, external evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But the purpose is not that. You get what I'm saying? The purpose is, it's like saying, I I get a salary of 10,000 rupees and I go out shopping and I buy myself uh, a 10,000 rupee cloth, uh, like a 10,000 rupee suit. And then the whole month I don't have food to eat. The whole month I don't have uh, money to pay rent. You know, the, the thing is, we, we think it's for those things, whereas it's, it's, those are evidences that you get a 10,000 rupee salary. Okay? But the primary purpose you get a salary is to meet your basic expenses. Come on now. Yeah, see, you prophesying is an external evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. You are speaking in tongues. All of that is evidences. But the primary purpose you have the Holy Spirit is so your heart will be filled with love. So anytime you're feeling lack of love for God, for people, or even for yourself in your heart, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you afresh. What you need at that time is not another dose of Netflix. What you need is another dose of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to pour himself afresh, afresh pour. You know, see, when it comes to the presence of the Holy Spirit, I like this because the Holy Spirit is somebody that is not just once he's come, he's just there. His presence is like a, is like tea or water that can be constantly poured into our lives. You know, see, if I come into your house, I just come. I cannot keep coming into your house unless I leave the house and then I come back at a later point. Come on, do you understand in natural terms? I cannot say, okay, I'm here, I'm more here, I'm here, and I'm... That, that won't happen. Come on, do you understand? The same thing with the presence of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he's come for good. Like when he comes, it's, it's the end game. You know, it's like the end game for the whole world. He's not going to come secretly and then privately and then... No, no, no. That will not happen. When he comes, it's end game for the whole world. The kingdom, the government of this world will now rest on his shoulders. Okay, he's coming to finish the history when he comes. But the presence of the Holy Spirit is so beautiful that he can come and he can be constantly poured into our lives. We can continue to increase in the awareness of God because the Holy Spirit is constantly being poured into us. We can never be too full of the Holy Spirit. We can, it's, it's like a river that flows out of us. It's like a stream that bubbles up inside of us. John chapter 4, go back and study this. It says, those who believe in me, Jesus said, out of, inside of them will flow this living water. Not rivers, rivers is in chapter 7. In chapter 4, it says, inside of them, they will will bubble up within them. A springs of living water will bubble up within them. Those who believe in me, he said to the Samaritan woman. And then in chapter 7, he said, but those who believe in me, not only inside of them, now outside of them, they will start flowing. Reverge of living water. The streams will now become reversion. This is an unending supply, my dear friends. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it says He's there to fill our hearts with love. So you cannot be a Christian whose heart cannot love. You cannot. We cannot be a Christian that cannot love. We cannot be a Christian that cannot forgive. We cannot be a Christian that cannot you know, show mercy because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Out of love flows joy, peace, pain. Everything flows from love. If you don't have love, we are stuck. We, we, are, we, we are infertile, impotent if we are not able to produce love. The first thing that we need to produce is love. Amen? Once again, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Verse 6, it says, when we were utterly helpless or hopeless or weak or without strength, when we couldn't provide for our own salvation, the Bible says, Christ, He came 
at just the right time or, or, in, the, or in the fullness of time. The, the KJV Bible says in, in due time or on the due date. In the, you know, you know, pregnant mothers, they have a due date. If a child comes before, it's called premature child. If a child comes late, it come, it's called post-mature, post post-term or post-mature. But somebody who comes on time, on the due date, the Bible says Christ came to us in the fullness, in the right time, in the due date, at the right time, at the exact point in history, not just in the history of mankind, but even in our lives. There are so many people that I've had conversations with and they, they, would, they would complain about the fact that I, I wish I had known this before. I wish I was saved 10 years back. I wish I had experiences. No, you don't have to regret. When, when we are talking about Jesus, you cannot reach him. He has to reach you. And he came at the fullness or in the, in the perfection of time. If you're, if you're thinking that you're, you're late to come to this church, no, you're not. If you're thinking you're late to, to receive something from God, no, you're not. In the right time, in the fullness of time, he has come. And what did he do? He came and he died for us. You know, faithful believers who are justified, who are purified, who are standing in grace, who are, you know, like filled in the Holy Spirit. No, who, who did he die for? He died for sinners. Now, you should understand, from verse 6 onwards, Paul is beginning a different narrative. He's not continuing what he started in verse 1, okay? Verse 1 onwards till verse 5, he is building something up, okay? Faith leading to justification, leading to peace with God, leading to standing in the grace of God, leading us to rejoicing, leading us to endurance, leading us to character, leading us to a confident hope, which would lead us to be filled in the Holy Spirit, which would lead us to be filled with love. Okay? Now he's beginning a different part of the same chapter. And he says, when we were still hopeless, utterly helpless, when we couldn't have helped ourselves, Jesus died for us. Sinners, we were sinners. He says in verse 7, now, most people, okay, how many of you know that if I ask you to die for me, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you anybody loves me in this place? Yeah. But honestly speaking, if I ask you to die for me, see, no hands are up. <laughs> he says, most people would not even die for an upright person. For a loving person, for a kind, generous person, even for a person that they love, they wouldn't be willing to die for that person. Most people. Very rarely would you hear of somebody that gave up their life to save somebody else. Most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person. Uh, it says, though it's possible that someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is specially good. Which means there has to be something that you have that nobody else have. That like you are the sole hope for humanity, that kind, you know. That man, if you, if you survive, cancer can be, you know, healed or somebody may be willing to die for you. Like, you know, like parents may be willing to save their children and give up their lives. There are, you know, there are, there are stories of how people have put their lives on the line to save somebody else. It says, somebody who is really good, somebody who is really worth it, you know, somebody who qualifies, somebody may be willing to die for that. It says, but this is where that love is different from God's love. Come on, read verse 8. It says, but God, somebody say, but God... He showed us His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were not after we became Christians, not after we became children of God, not after we got membership in a church, not after we changed our uh, lifestyle, but when we were still sinners, God loved us. When we were still sinners, Christ came to die for us. When we were still sinners. You know, the funny thing is, God knows the end from the beginning. God knows how many more sins you will do after you are saved also. And still he chose to save you. And 
And still he chose to love you. Still he chose to make covenants. You know, I, I, I was very surprised that, you know, God would make a covenant with somebody like a Solomon. Even though God knew what is going to happen in his life. I'm like, why would you make a covenant with a man that you know is going to fail you, God? God still went ahead and reaffirmed the covenant that he had made with David, with Solomon. Saying, I'm going to make sure that after you, there are going to be your sons who will sit on the throne of Israel. I'm like, God, don't you know? Don't you understand? Don't you see? Aren't you an all-knowing God? Aren't you outside of history? Aren't you outside of time? This all-knowing God, he still chose to show his love to Solomon. He still chose to show his glory to Solomon. He still chose to encounter this guy and ask him, what do you want? In spite of knowing Solomon is going to fail him. You know, you know, both those of you who don't know, Solomon ended up worshipping idols by the end of his life. Come on, you know, that's like really going crazy, right? That's where Solomon ended up. And God knew all of that and still showed his love towards him. It says, when we were still sinners, there was a demonstration of God's love. How? By Jesus Christ dying for us. Verse 9. Okay, are you ready for verse 9? I don't know if you can handle this, but you know, try to handle it. It says, and since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ. Why? Because Jesus died for us, right? He says, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. He says, we've been made right with God. By, how? How, do, how have we made right with God? By the blood of Christ. He says, now because of that, we are also saved from condemnation. The other translations would use the word the wrath of God. We are saved from the wrath of God, from the, from the anger of God, from the punishment of God. See, the wrath of God demands that sin will be punished. The wrath of God demands that sin will, will, will be met with uh, a punishment that is equal to the gravity of sin. And the wages of sin is death. Not discipline, death. Okay? We experience small, small discipline from God and we think God is punishing us. No, no, no. That is not punishment. That is discipline. God disciplines the ones that He loves. Any father or any mother that loves their children, they discipline their children. But the punishment, the wages of sin is death and death eternally. It says, now we have been made right in God's sight. We've been justified by the blood of Christ now we've been justified by this sinless, spotless blood of the Lamb. Now we've been accepted, we've been welcomed in by the blood of the Lamb. And because of the blood of the Lamb, I'm protected from the wrath of God. You know, we don't need protection from the enemy. The only thing you need protection from is the wrath of God. And it is the blood of Jesus that gives us the protection from the wrath of God. The blood of the Lamb. You know, in, in the book of Exodus, they had to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost because the angel of death is about to pass by. And each house that doesn't have the blood on their doorpost, they will have death in their house. Today, we can experience freedom. We can experience protection. We can experience salvation because of the blood of the lamb, Jesus. Verse 10, are you ready for this? It says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. Now, this, this is amazing. You remember, we talked about friendship. We have peace with God. We have a relationship with God because we are justified, because we have faith, because of... Uh, you know, the right relationship with God. Now we have peace with God, right? Now, now Paul says, now since our friendship with God has been restored, which means this was something that we originally had. When? Where? In the Garden of Eden. What did man have with God? Friendship, relationship. 
we had a close relationship yeah that relationship that was lost in the garden of eden it says that relationship has been restored while we were still his enemies not after you got saved not after you not after you got baptized read it again okay read it again read it in every translation possible and tell me if i'm not wrong it says since our friendship our relationship with god it was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies paul is saying when we were still unsaved when we were still not believers when we were still not only did jesus die for us but he made a way for us to be justified and because he made a way for us to be justified our relationship that friendship that access that adam and eve had to god in the garden of eden that access the door has been opened for everybody when we were still his enemies this doesn't happen after you get saved the door was opened before you get saved while we were still his enemies we experience this access this door it says if if that is true we will certainly be saved through the life of his son in other words what paul is saying is see when jesus died okay the door was open for everybody's salvation but when he was risen back up it says that now we can now be partakers of that life we can be saved we can experience this life see prophet makandiva said something that was beautiful and i and just blew my mind he said something he said see adam and eve did not die because they ate of the fruit adam and eve did not experience death because they disobeyed god adam and eve died because they did not have the fruit from the tree of life anymore do you remember what god said god said if we don't take them out of this garden then they will continue to access the tree of life and they will never die so it is not sin that killed them please understand please are you able to get this so it is not disobedience that killed them what killed them the lack of access the lack of the tree of life is what killed them you understand what i'm saying that's why they had to be kept outside the garden so what they lost along with the relationship was access to life so you should understand when the access has been restored to jesus don't you think life has also been restored that's the point that he's trying to drive across he's saying hey our friendship with god has been restored just by jesus dying on the cross now with his resurrection now the way has been made for us to be saved for us to experience now for us to partake of the tree of life now for us to be saved through the life of his son how now we have relationship with him now we grow in communion with him the same way adam and eve had communion with god every time they had communion with god they were partaking of the tree of life what they lost outside the garden of eden is communion with god and they lost access to life they lost access to the presence of god and that's why they started deteriorating so this morning i want to i want you to understand that death cannot prevail in your life every 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 area of your life where death is fighting you okay because you have the right relationship with god now just by the death of jesus on the cross you have friendship with god your relationship with god is restored now you have access to god just by the death of jesus okay this is not even because you got saved just by the death of jesus now you have access into the holy of holies now it says because of the resurrection of jesus now you and i when we experience the salvation we can now partake of that life which means death cannot prevail in your home death cannot prevail in your health death cannot have the final say in your marriage in your finances death death your finances cannot stink of death in jesus name i reverse every curse of death because revelation is being released for we know this morning we have an understanding this morning we are not just 
we are not just following something that we are unaware of we have an understanding for we know we know that because we've been risen because our relationship with god has been restored now our life also has been restored let me explain that further verse 11 it says so now we can rejoice come on everybody say rejoice, rejoice. this morning's theme is to rejoice we cannot go out of this place without rejoicing it doesn't matter what your circumstances is it doesn't matter what you have what you don't have so now we rejoice because we have this wonderful relationship wonderful new relationship with god because of our lord jesus christ what did he do he made us friends of he reconciled us to god he 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 restored our relationship with god so now what do we do now we glory in it now we boast about it now we celebrate it this morning we we come to church week after week to rejoice we come to celebrate we come to boast the other translation says to exult to glory in the fact that we have this new relationship with god because don't rejoice because you got a blessing don't rejoice because jesus told the disciples don't rejoice because demons submit to you rejoice because your name is written in the book of life is now you have a right relationship with god everything else is bonus it's part of the puzzle it's you know praise god for the blessing praise god for the health praise god for the uh, for the breakthrough praise god for the money the finances everything else is part of the package but we rejoice because of the relationship we rejoice because of the door we rejoice because of the access we rejoice because we can now be partakers of the tree of life somebody shout a loud hallelujah when adam sinned you know going back to the garden of eden it says when adam sinned sin entered the world can you imagine sin adam sin opened the door opened the curtain for sin to enter into the world to penetrate into the atmosphere of the world sin was not part of the world's ecosystem all the damage you you're seeing around you is because of sin and who opened this door adam's sin it says when adam sinned you know i find it funny how it doesn't say when eve sinned <laughs> it says when adam sinned but you know see this is the thing what you don't understand is that adam was eve's covering if eve would have sinned and adam would have corrected her and rebuked her and stopped her from going on things would have still been the same but the fall happened when the man the guy in charge he fell because adam was eve's head yeah the husband is the head of the woman adam was eve's covering eve was made out of adam so eve sinning was not the problem the problem was when adam joined along with eve to sin it says when adam sinned sin entered penetrated into the world and adam's sin brought death so death spread to everyone for everybody you know how corona is spreading it says death spread faster than corona because corona it it didn't affect 100% of population but death affected 100% of population from adam's day till today what you know covid has done is only in the last two years yeah but the problem with sin and death is that it is more contagious than covid is you've got to be more afraid more scared of sin than you should be afraid of covid you know we we compromise on our protection against sin so that we can be protected against covid don't do that covid will come and go but death is a bigger enemy because death it says because death that death it spread to everybody it is sin it was contagious it spread to everybody verse 13 yes people sinned even before the law was given see I, i'll explain why he is saying people sinned even before the law was given it says but it was not counted as sin 
because there was not yet any law to break. You remember in chapter 4 also he mentions this. The only way to not sin is if there is no law to break because law makes us aware of sin. Now he's saying, hey, guess what? People sinned even before the law was given, which is only in the times of Moses. Do you know Sodom and Gomorrah happened before Moses? You know, a lot of sin, Noah's flood happened before Moses. There was a lot of sin before the law was given. It says that sin was there prevalent even before the law came. And because of that, the effect of sin or the result of sin. What is the result of sin? Death. So the result of sin was also there before the law was given. Okay. Verse 14 says, Still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Okay. So, so see, see, for Adam, it was the fact that you should not eat of this tree. But there were so many who continued to live life, although they did not have an explicit commandment saying, don't kill your brother. You know, did, did God tell Cain that it's wrong to kill your brother? No. He, st he still did that. And the result of it was what? Death. Sodom and Gomorrah, they were having their own, uh, you know, party, their own lives. Did anybody go and tell them that, hey, this is wrong. This is, you know, you should not do this. This is against God's law. No. But did they receive the punishment of that? Yes, they did. It says, because sin automatically opens door for death to enter in. He says, still everybody died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam, he is a symbol. He is a, he's a representation or is a type of Christ who was yet to come. Okay? So, so till the time of Moses, law was not given and still sin, you know, still death was prevalent, sin was prevalent, death was prevalent. After the law came, you know, the awareness of sin continued to increase, which meant the, the people dying also continued to increase. You know, the number of people that died under the law was greater than the number of people who died before the law because now they were willfully disobeying God. Okay? I'll explain this. It says... Uh, now, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness because many through that same one, through the other man, Jesus Christ, they experience this wonderful grace and they experience this gift of forgiveness. Just like Adam, through his sin, he opened the door for death to enter in. Jesus, you know, what Paul is doing is he's saying Adam is a type of Christ. He was a foreshadow of Christ. Adam opened the door for sin to enter in. And sin came and brought death with it. Yeah? In the same way, Christ, he was exalted. He was elevated and he opened the door he made this access, this relationship with God possible. And it says, because of Jesus, this wonderful grace and this gift of forgiveness is available to many through that one man, Jesus Christ. God did not save us. The man, Christ Jesus, saved us. See, the God Jesus, you know, Jesus is also God. The word was God, yeah? The God Jesus, he can't save us unless he becomes like us. That's why he had to become a man. He had to become like Adam. You know, he had to come in the same way that Adam came. And in the same place where death ruled, where death reigned, the Bible says, Jesus, because of God's gracious gift, he opened the door for the wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness. Verse 16, what is the result? The result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being justified or made right with God, even though we are 
guilty of many sins. In other words, there were so many people from Adam to, uh, to, to Moses or even later who, who did live good lives but still had to die. Why? Their, their, their good lives did not save them from death. Yeah? And Paul says in the same way, all of us who have experienced Jesus, even though we have many sins, we still experience life. It's a just balance. It's God is fair. It says in the next verse, verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, it caused death to rule over many. Okay, many homes, even today, because they don't have this awareness, because they're living under Adam's, uh, you know, belief system, Adam's way of life, death still rules over many. He says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. Somebody say, through this one man. He says, through this one man, Jesus Christ, we will live in victory. We will live in triumph over sin, over death, over every effect of sin. See, Sin resulted in death. Sin resulted in broken marriages. Sin resulted in anxiety. Sin resulted in poverty. Sin resulted in every negative thing that you see around you, right? Sin resulted in all of that. Death is an effect of sin. So God is not saying, I will take sin away, but death, you know, you still keep. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, because of what Jesus has done, not only is sin gone, but the effect of that sin, death. Now you can have victory. You can triumph over death. I, I don't know if you're ready to believe this. You can triumph over death, which means you decide when you have to go to heaven. Yeah, your sickness don't decide when you get to go to heaven. Accidents don't decide when you go to heaven. No, no, no. You decide when you want to go to heaven. Because you triumph over death. You triumph over every adverse wind and waves against your marriage. You triumph over the financial adversity. You triumph over every poverty that is coming down generationally from Adam down to your family. No, you triumph over it. Every effect of that sin, you triumph and you have victory over it in Jesus' name. Through that one man, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, through that one man, Jesus Christ, now we live in triumph. Not just over sin, but even over the effects of sin. Come on, somebody. This morning, the Lord is releasing freedom in our spirits. I don't know if you, if you, if you understand. It's, you see, but... But, you know, some of us, we, we, we will be very satisfied with the death being wiped out without dealing with the root cause. What does the root cause in the first place? Sin. So, so it's not enough that we come and just say, okay, I'll, thank God I'm healed. Thank God I'm blessed. Thank God. You're just dealing with death. But if you've not dealt with sin, the death will return. What opened the door for death? Sin. And because of sin, death entered into the eco-space of this world. Because we have sin in our lives, death can still prevail. Now through Jesus, it says through this one man Jesus, what do, we, what do we do now? We triumph. You can't say, wait, I will not, I, I will not uh, you know, think about the bill that I have to pay. And somehow the bill will be paid automatically. No. If you, if you have a bill to pay... You have to actively work towards it, pray towards it, make sure the debt is paid, you know, do, do something about it, yeah? Yeah, in the same way, if you want to triumph over sin, you can't just ignore sin. If you want to have triumph over sin, it is only possible through Jesus, it is only possible through faith in Jesus, that is there, no doubt about it. And yet, it is necessary that you realize that just like you have to actively work and actively pray and actively use your faith against the effect of sin, you also have to actively do that against sin. 
You can't just do that against your financial debt and not do that against your addiction. You can't do, you can't just fight against the problem of uh, lack of money and not fight against the lying tongue that you've got. You can't, you can't not, you can't ignore sin is what I'm trying to say. Because the triumph is offered to both sin and the effects of sin. Okay, let me read it one more time. I want you to read it with me, okay? One, two, three, go. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin, over death, through this one man, Jesus Christ. Amen? So if we have received this gift of righteousness, we will not continue to live in sin. We will live in triumph over sin. You understand what I'm saying? The ones that are ignorant of the righteousness that God has given them, they will continue to live in sin. But the ones that have received this wonderful gift from God, God's grace and His righteousness, this gift of righteousness, they will live in victory. They will live in triumph over sin and over death through the one man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's uh, read the next four verses together. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. We thank you, Lord, for this new life. We thank you, Lord, for this new relationship. We thank you, Lord, for this new righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for your one act of righteousness. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, Jesus, he obeyed God, many will become righteous. We thank you for your obedience, Daddy. We thank you for your obedience, Jesus. We thank you for what you have done. We sing hallelujah for the Lamb has overcome. He has won it all. He has finished the work. Verse 20, God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. Because you understand, before the law was given, people didn't have any idea of what sin is. But law was given so people can see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Where sin abounds, what did grace do? Grace abounds even more. Because this grace has to cover all the sin of the world. Yeah? It says, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say grace range. Life reigns. The righteousness of God reigns. Jesus reigns. Amen. Paul is saying just like, just like how sin brought death and now death reigned for centuries without people's knowledge for about the last six millennium. People have been dying. People have been living in that lifestyle. He says, now you and I, because of what Jesus has done, now life can reign. Now freedom, righteousness can reign. Now God can control us. God's presence can uh, have complete authority, the final say in our lives. The other translation would say, death had authority over men. But now today, you and I, we have authority over death. We have authority over sin. We have authority over everything because of what Jesus has done. Is this good news or not? Is this the gospel or not? Is this something that we can rejoice about this morning? Is this something we can be thankful about this morning? Is this something that we can celebrate this morning? I believe that as you celebrate, not only will your sin be dealt with, but the effects of your sin will also be dealt with. You know, there are things that can be passed down generationally 
you know but because we are unaware of what jesus has done it will continue to fester us because we are unaware of what jesus accomplished for us it will continue to fight our children but this morning because a revelation has come for we know this knowledge is setting us free we know the truth and the truth is setting us free from every lie from every activity every demonic work in your life the truth is setting us free salvation is not a one time experience salvation is a whole process of walking with god day by day of 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 believing in him of being justified by him of being you know of having this close relationship a peace being a peace being made with god of of bringing us to a place of uh you know confident joyful place a place of uh, grace grace growing to a place where we now have joy joy leading us to a place of endurance endurance leading us to a place of strong character strong character leading us to a place of confident hope hope leading us to a place of being filled in the holy spirit and the holy spirit's presence in our life now which is leading us to overflow in love amen thank you for tuning in for today's sermon we hope this word has been a blessing to you do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information you're welcome to tune in every sunday for our live celebration service at 11 am at youtube.com/pastorpriji God bless you and have a blessed week.